0: Welcome to the Pastor's Study.
1: For today's program, let's tackle one of the most difficult problems of the Bible. Namely, how can God will that something happens, and then a person carries that out, and then God holds that person guilty and accountable for carrying that out? The prime example is Judas. Was it God's will for Jesus to be Betrayed and crucified. Yes, was Judas part of that plan? Yes. So, does God hold Judas accountable for what he did to Christ? The answer is yes. <laughs> and we're going to ask the question: How does that work? How is that fair? So, this is a deep topic today. I I hope I preach it right. Let's let's pray first. Father, as we get into this topic today, we would pray that we learn the difficult lessons we need to learn from Judas. And Lord, help each of us not be Judas in this story. And God, Holy Spirit, come speak to us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Before we get into the difficult topic, let me just give you some facts about Judas. Judas was called a devil. Jesus said in John chapter 6, Did I not choose you, the twelve, myself, And one of you is a devil. Judas was an unbeliever from the beginning. It says this in John 6, Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Judas was the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. John 13 says, It is that the scripture might be fulfilled, quote, he, Judas, who eats my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Judas was the treasurer for the 12 disciples and for Jesus, and he was a thief. He used to pilfer out of the can. He was greedy to an extreme. Judas betrayed Jesus for 20 pieces of silver. That was not a huge sum back then. Judas faked compassion. You remember when the lady was pouring perfume on Jesus and Judas grumbles, we should have taken that and sold that perfume for money to give to the poor. And then the New Testament says, but Judas didn't care about the poor. He wanted to pill for the money. Judas was the ultimate hypocrite. When he wanted to point out Jesus to the soldiers, he said, the one I kiss is Jesus. And Jesus said to Judas when he did it, you betray me with a kiss? What a hypocrite. And after he did what he did, Judas was overcome by guilt, and then Judas committed suicide. So now let's get to the tough questions here. Was it God's will for Judas to betray Jesus and for Jesus to be crucified? Was the crucifixion of Christ God's will? Listen carefully now to Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And then, in Acts chapter 3, Peter says to the Jews, I know that you acted in ignorance as your rulers did, but what God foretold by the prophets that this Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. It was the plan of God. And then this from Acts chapter 4, the disciples are praying, and they say, God, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pilate, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So was it God's will for Jesus to be crucified? The answer is yes. (laughs) Now, Presbyterians are, are, are big on predestination. That's kind of their theme. I believe in predestination. So years ago, I was in Duluth, Minnesota, and for a Lenten service, I went to a Presbyterian church. The Presbyterian preacher gets in the pulpit and says, quote, It was not God's will for his son to be suffering and crucified on the cross. That was not the loving will of our Heavenly Father. Afterwards, he's shaking hands. I was polite, but I went up and I said, Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So yes, it was God's will for Christ to be crucified. It's why he sent his son for our salvation. So, what I want to do now, the the first point I want you to get from the sermon is this. Here we go. God can use evil men to work his good plans. Let me repeat that. God can use evil men to work God's good plans. Let me give you three examples. Number 1, about 1300 BC, God raises up evil Pharaoh. God wants to show the Egyptians God's power and might, so God hardens Pharaoh's heart and God does all these miracles and then finally Pharaoh lets them go. Second example is the king of Assyria. About 722 B.C., God wants to punish the Jews for their idolatry. So he brings in a pagan by the name of, uh, it was either Sargon or Easter, but the king of Assyria comes in and punishes the Jews. The king himself, though, was a pagan. And then the third evil man, about 33 A.D., God uses Judas to betray Jesus, to get Jesus on the cross, to fulfill God's will for our salvation. Now, the question we're going to ask now, though, is, are Sargon, Judas, and Pharaoh, then, accountable for what they did because they were doing God's will? And the answer is, they are accountable. Now, how does that work? Well, I think this will help, I think. Isaiah is talking about the king of Assyria and how he's punishing the Jews for their idolatry. This is from Isaiah 10. Listen carefully. God says, Ah, Assyria, the rod of my anger. He's using Assyria to punish the Jews. The staff in the the hands is my fury. Against a godless nation, the Jews, I sent him, the king of Assyria. And against the people of my wrath, I command him. But get this, but he, the king of Assyria, does not so intend. And his heart does not so think. But it is his heart to destroy and to cut off nations and not a few. In other words, the king of Assyria is not thinking, hey, let me carry out God's will. He's oblivious to what what God's will is. Then later it says, when the Lord has finished all of his work on Mount Zion and Jerusalem, the Jews, he will then punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. For he says, by the strength of my hand, I've done it. And by my wisdom, for I have understanding, I remove the boundaries of people, I plunder their treasures, etc. And then God says, shall the axe, Assyria, boast over him who hews with it, God, or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it? So here's the reason I think God can hold the king of Assyria guilty, who was carrying out God's will, his motive. Was the king of Assyria thinking, here, let me do the will of God and punish the Jews? He had none of that in his mind. He was a pagan idolater. So, yeah, he was doing God's will, but his motive was his own evil greed and hatred. I think that helps. <laughs> All right, but it doesn't quite answer the whole thing. Let's, let's turn to Pharaoh, about 1400 B.C., before Moses leaves the mountain to go to, t- to confront Pharaoh, God says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. It does say Pharaoh hardened his own heart later, but it starts with God saying, I'm going to harden his heart so that I can do all my miracles eventually is, is what happens. So how is that fair for God to harden Pharaoh's heart and then later destroy Pharaoh for his hard heart? Well, Um, This is where it gets difficult, and I just ask you to concentrate on this. Paul the Apostle deals with that question in Romans chapter 9. So please listen carefully as I read this. Here we go. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Paul answers, By no means. For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it, our salvation, depends not on human will. Your free will did not save you. Our salvation does not depend on human will or exertion, human exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose have I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, God has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Here's the hard part. You will say to me then, why does God still find fault? For who can resist his will? And here's the Apostle Paul's answer. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? So how is this fair? Here's Paul's answer. I make pottery for a hobby. And let me show you this. Um, Here is a a lump of clay that I bought. I, I went to the clay company and I bought my clay. I'm a potter. I own the clay. I can take this lump of clay and cut it in half and put this half on the potter's wheel and make an ugly piece of pottery. This is an ugly piece of pottery I made years ago but then I can take another lump of clay and make a much prettier piece of pottery. All right, I'm the potter, I own the clay, I have the right to make one vessel for normal or evil uh, use and another one for glorious use. God has the right, he is the potter, to do whatever he wants with his clay. And you know, everybody is going to glorify God one way or another. You will either glorify God by going to hell and glorifying his justice and his holiness against sin, or you will glorify God by going to heaven and glorifying God for his mercy and his forgiveness and his kindness through Christ. But one way or another, everybody glorifies God. And So how is this fair? Well, you know, God is fair. God is more fair than we are. And you don't have to worry if God's going to be fair. He's more fair and just and righteous than we are. Plus, i got to say this, we don't bring God into our courtroom. One day he's going to bring us into his courtroom. So there is the best I can do. I hope you understood all that. I'm not sure I did, but let's now do the second half of the sermon. What are some practical lessons for my life that I learned from all this? Here we go. First practical lesson. God controls everything. That's called sovereignty. That God controls, he's in control of everything. He's even in control over evil people. And that's a comfort for me. I want, if I've got an evil boss or an evil relative, I want God to be in control and and ultimately win over that situation. (laughs) Here was a small town that was having a prayer breakfast. A lot of people show up for the prayer breakfast. A farmer was asked to come up and give the opening prayer, and he comes up in his overalls, and he he says, let us pray. And he says, God, I hate buttermilk. People kind of looked up. And God, I hate Raw, white flour. And God, I hate lard. But God, you can take lard and flour and buttermilk and put them together and mix it into great buttermilk biscuits. So Lord, when bad stuff happens to me, help me know Romans 8.28. You're working all that together for my good. (laughs) First lesson I want you to get from Judas is... God controls everything. He's sovereign over everything, even over he- evil humans. Second lesson I want you to get from Judas. God can use an evil person and an evil event to work good for me. Again, that's Romans 8:28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. I mean, let's say that you do have an evil boss or you do have that evil relative and you don't like what they're doing, well, Romans 8, 28 says God promises to work that somehow together for your good. For instance, here's a story. A man shipwrecked on a desert island. He runs around the island and he painstakingly constructs a hut for him to live in. He's so happy. He goes back into the forest for a moment and Lightning strikes his hut, goes up in flames. He comes and he weeps on the beach. And a cruise ship shows up, rescues him. How would you know I was here? And the captain said, we saw your smoke signal. (laughs) Teddy Roosevelt was nearsighted. He's giving a speech one day. The assassin aims the bullet and it hits Roosevelt in the chest and knocks him over. But he gets up and he's fine. Because the bullet hit his steel glass case in his vest pocket, and he took it out and he said, I always thought my nearsightedness was my greatest handicap. It's become my salvation. (laughs) Years ago, about the early 1900s, there was a mine that collapsed in Wales, England. 200 miners were killed the bishop of the area was called to do the mass funeral. And the bishop got up and said, in my Bible at home is a bookmark that my mother embroidered for me. And he said, if you look at the bookmark from the wrong side, it looks like a mistake, a a mass of tangled threads. But if you turn it around, you see beautifully embroidered the words, God is love. And he said to the mourners, Today we're looking at this event from the wrong side. It looks like God has made a horrible mistake. But one day we'll see this from the other side and understand. God can use an evil person or an evil event for your good, Romans 8:28. Next thing I learned from Judas. There have been wolves among the sheep from the beginning. If Jesus' little band of 12 handpicked men had a devil in it, you better believe some of the people at your church are not believers in Christ. That's just the way it works. For many years, I was a pastor in the very liberal evangelical Lutheran church in America. I finally led my congregation out of that denomination for a more biblical branch of Lutheranism. But in my old liberal ELCA days, I had a bishop Who, well, how do I? I, He was horrible. I mean, he promoted homosexuality. He was. He was uh, later. He was very pro-abortion rights, and he led the church down the wrong road. He died recently, and I watched his funeral on YouTube. Big, huge funeral. Somebody got up and just praised him because because he was so pro-LGBT. And I sat watching this this sermon and this service thinking there have been wolves among the sheep for a long time. And some of them are old, white-haired bishops. Next thing I learn from Judas is the awful... Fate of the hypocrite. Jesus said, would have been better for Judas not to have been born. You know, sometimes I get the question, well, do you think Judas is in heaven because he was sorry after he betrayed Christ? Well, he was sorry, but he never returned to Christ. You'll see Peter in heaven. Peter uh, denied Jesus three times, but he was sorry and he came back to Christ. Judas never came back to Christ. And I think Jesus saying... Better had he never been born, mean he's in hell. And I want want you to ask yourself this question. Am I Judas? Judas went to all the prayer meetings. He followed Jesus for three years. He was there at the Last Supper. I mean, he did everything, but he wasn't saved because he never submitted his life and trusted Jesus for his salvation. Are you a Judas? Maybe you go to church, but that's about it. The awful fate of the hypocrite... And the last lesson from all this God always wins. <laughs> when Jesus was crucified, it looked like Judas won. Three days later, Jesus rises from the dead, Jesus won. And if you have a Judas in your life, maybe you've got a, a, a difficult spouse or a difficult relative or a difficult person at school or at work. Um they're not gonna win if you believe in Christ. Ultimately, you're going to win. And I'll, I'll close with this. In 1815, the English commander Wellington defeated the French commander, Napoleon Bonaparte, at the Battle of Waterloo, maybe the most famous ni- uh, battle in the history of mankind. The story goes, I don't know if it's true, story goes that the courier sails across the English Channel, runs to London, gets to the top of a tall building that night, and with his light starts to blink out the great news, W-E-L-L-I-N-G-T-O-N, Wellington, D-E-F, defeated. And he was going to do the third word, Napoleon, but the fog settled in. And all the people saw were two words, Wellington, defeated. And they mourned. Finally, the fog lifts. It starts again. W.E. Wellington defeated. And then finally, the third word, Napoleon. And the city rejoiced. <laughs> when Jesus died on the cross, it looked like Jesus defeated. Three days later, we got the real message. Jesus defeated death when he rose. He defeated Judas. When he rose, he defeated the devil when he rose. And the last point I want you to get is, in the end, God always wins. So if you have a Judas or a difficult person in your life, pray for them, pray for for their salvation, but know that in the end, they're not going to win. God is going to win. Those are the lessons we learn from Judas the betrayer. Amen.
2: Welcome to the portion of the Pastor Study, where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, didn't Judas sin because of his free will? And the second part of that question is, doesn't God give all of us free will? And the to choose whether to follow christ or not
1: you know here's the very popular view everybody has free will you decide whether you're going to be saved and follow christ or not i don't believe that jackie i i don't think we can choose god on our own and i think the bible teaches if you read that romans chapter 9 passage it salvation does not depend upon man who wills But on god who has mercy and if i can quote martin luther i'm a lutheran 500 years ago martin luther wrote this i do not believe i can by my own reason or power come to my lord jesus christ or believe in him but the holy spirit does that in me so i mean uh, judas had an evil will and his evil will went after christ and betrayed him was i mean jackie i was watching tv the other night and here's i won't tell you who but there was somebody on tv who was really promoting evil and he is so entrenched in what he's doing and i thought you know that person cannot turn around he's so entrenched only god can turn that people around or that person around that's true for, for all of us so i don't think you can by your own free will come to christ you need the holy spirit to do that
2: Okay, well, this is a little different type question because we have a lot of things happening in America today. Oy, oy. Yeah, and so if America has an evil president, is that from God? I mean, yeah. we've got things going on that just...
1: This is the craziest time of our lifetime. Oh, well,
2: it is, Tom.
1: And it's hard to watch the news. oh you can't (laughs) oh and but let uh, you know uh, whoever becomes the next president of the united states if it's an evil person is that from god sometimes god gives people what they want if you read romans chapter one three times it says god gave these people up to the lusts of their own hearts and so i don't want an evil president and i pray we don't get an evil president but um sometimes you, when you say god i don't want you god says okay you don't get me you get your rebellion and you get this happened in the old testament there'd be a good king of, of israel and the next king would be horrible and then the next king would be good it, it just goes back and forth so
2: okay tom did judas go to hell if he was you know you know sorry isn't he in heaven
1: no i don't think judas is in heaven because Jesus said about Judas, it would have been better if Judas had never been born. That sounds like hell to me. And so, I mean, again, you'll see Peter in heaven uh, because he repented after he uh, denied Christ. But Judas felt sorrow, but there was never repentance where he came back to Christ. He never came back to Christ. So.
2: Okay if a person sins is that because god wanted them to sin?
1: yeah now here's the thing from what i just preached you almost get the impression well you know it was god's will for pharaoh to harden his heart it was god's will for judas to betray christ and it was (laughs) Mm -hmm. does that mean that when i sin i'm just doing god's will you can't go there jackie when i sin it's not because god wanted me to do it i sinned against god his will for was for me to follow him so I've got to admit, Jackie, some of this stuff is beyond my noodle, how all this predestination stuff works. When I sin, that's, that's something I have to repent of. That's not something God wanted me to do. But the Bible still teaches that God does what He wills, and He hardens whom He wills, and He saves whom He wills. Both are true, somehow, some way.
2: Okay. Some people say this, that the Bible's confusing. What should a person do if they find the Bible yeah. confusing?
1: We got one minute left, and I'm glad we got to that question. I, you know, Jackie, I'm cheap. I've been cheap my whole life. I go to garage sales a lot. I I'm too cheap. I should have bought this years ago. It's the ESV study Bible, and I've seen it before, and it's a great study Bible. But it's kind of expensive but i was at the half price bookstore and i got it for 15 bucks i should have paid 40 bucks and gotten it years ago this is a great study bible so i encourage you when you read the bible and things are confusing Buy the ESV Study Bible, because at the bottom of the page, they have footnotes explaining the difficult verses, and they're very fair. If there's three different views, they'll give you all three. So I just encourage you, if you're not understanding the Bible, get a good study Bible. The one I like the best is the ESV Study Bible. Well, why don't you close the show there, Jackie?
2: Thanks for being with us. We pray that God will be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings. Until we're together again next time.